0: Welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Alison Klein.
1: Welcome back to Chip Chat. It's day two of the OpenStack Summit. We're coming to you live from Paris, France, and I'm Alison Klein. I'm joined by a colleague of mine, Krish Raghuram, Enterprise Marketing Manager in the Open Source Tech Center at Intel, Welcome, Krish.
2: Hi, Alison. Morning.
1: So, Krish, you and I have been chatting quite a bit lately about about OpenStack, but why don't you start by just telling the audience a little bit about what you do at Intel and what is this open-source tech center?
2: Sure. Um, I'm in charge of OpenStack marketing. OpenStack is the open-source cloud operating environment that Intel's a part of. And uh, so I'm in the open-source technology center that's involved in... uh, doing a lot of engineering for open source uh, projects. Uh, The Linux community is a famous one, the Linux kernel work. And of course, there are many other projects that the OTC, as we call ourselves, is involved in. And uh, OpenStack is one of the. Newer ones but we've also been involved in other projects like Hadoop and the octo project and Tyson and so on so all the way from the desktop to the data center
1: so we're going to talk about OpenStack later in the program but I just wanted to start by asking you because you know you have been involved in this for a long time why does Intel make such a deep investment in open source and and what is the, the purpose of that in terms of uh, the delivery of solutions to the to the marketplace
2: sure. I think there are two objectives coming out of that. One, of course, uh, Intel's self-interest in seeing a lot of the technologies that we work on being um, uh, realized through the software layers and uh, at least tested out and uh, proved, proven, um, even while many of the other vendors in the non-open source space are also adopting the same. So we value those relationships as much as we value the relationships of the open source community. But the open source community does give us a little bit more opportunity to engage with developers directly and, 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 and with a much wider spread of developers and get some of our technologies uh, quickly proven and tested.
1: So when you take a look at OpenStack, um, you know, we've got this long history of engagement. Why have we prioritized OpenStack in your perspective as an area for us to contribute?
2: Sure. Um, yeah, it was, uh, as you rightly pointed out, uh, there, there have actually been other open source environments in the cloud space. OpenStack has picked up momentum with sheer community uh, involvement. It's uh, captured the imagination of very large uh, swath of developers across. As we just saw in the keynote this morning, uh, 59 countries are represented here. It's just the tremendous momentum that it has, which tells us that it's the it's the place where a lot more innovation and agility is going to happen. So. Uh, Clearly, it's the one that Intel has decided to throw a lot of its weight. At least the open-source technology center Mm -hmm. has chosen to throw throw its weight behind it.
1: Now, obviously, OpenStack recently had its Juno release out, and I was checking um, Stackalytics, and it looks like Intel was in the top 10 of contributors to Juno. Um, I know that these these, uh, lists are tracked very carefully in the open-source community. What kind of things are they tracking? Like, how do they measure who's contributed what? Is it based on line of code? Or is it based on other factors?
2: Actually, they have multiple things. If you went to analytics uh, you could actually choose uh, the particular criterion on which you want to see the rankings of the various companies. So it's blueprint submitted. This is, of course, where the architects are active in terms of submitting their ideas and into blueprints. And then you have code submissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they measure them mainly by the number of projects, I guess, that you've submitted. You can actually look at lines of code, too. So if you want to get that deep down. And then code reviews. So it's really the number of uh, individual projects that people have been involved in.
1: And and I guess, you know, it's not just code submissions that drive um, an open source effort forward. What else is Intel invested in here in terms of broader education and those types of
2: things? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, blueprints and code submissions. And then we have the engagements with the downstream distributors. I think that's critical, because you can put a lot of code upstream, but if you aren't really engaged with the people who can productize and take it to market, a lot of that is not going to get, not going to see the light of day because there, there's a lot of work that's involved in productizing, testing, validating, certifying, and so we work with all the distributors to do that. And then, as you rightly pointed out, the last step is actually educating end users. So we go all the way to working with the downstream distributors to do workshops with end users, show them what the technology can do, support POCs, uh, exercises. And the Intel field organizations are also heavily involved in engaging with these large IT organizations to do that.
1: I saw a statistic that average companies use about 30% open source software. And fast-moving companies, the number is much higher. Uh, Why do you think that there is that disparity? And and what does open source give to an organization from a usage standpoint in terms of additional agility within the company?
2: Sure. Uh, As we've noticed, large organizations have large software departments. I mean, their IT departments are not just operations people. They have a large number of developers Mm in-house. Open source gives the opportunity for many of these end-user organizations to actually participate in how code is written and the specific problems that are tackled and prioritized and eventually make it it into distributions, uh, product distributions. So for them, I think it's powerful. They can actually be involved in seeing uh, how the product is uh, built.
1: So the community extends to the user community. Absolutely. And when you when you look at an event like OpenStack Summit, um, you've been to multiple OpenStack summits. How has the transition been in your mind? Um, you know, from the early days of OpenStack as a as a concept and something that you know really wasn't ready for prime time to where we are today, where we have multiple distributions in the marketplace, enterprises deploying, telcos deploying. Describe the transition and what you think were the critical milestones along the way to get us to where we're at.
2: I think uh, if you looked over the last year and a half, uh, you have seen the increasing participation by end users. So it shows up in the summits. You know who's doing most of the talking. Um, the latest, the, you know, the summit that we're at right now, you see a lot of end users mm-hmm. being featured. They're talking. Uh, Uh, they're participating in all the design sessions. And so they're a lot more active. So what's happened over the last year and a half is that many end users have seriously tried the technology out. And uh, maybe they haven't deployed it across the entire company, and it's not quite there yet. But uh, as we saw in the keynote yesterday, BMW said, this is serious. We tried it out. This thing fits in with our strategic vision. Mm -hmm. We're dead serious about it. But we also know there are a few things that need to be done to make it you know, enterprise class. So I think the participation by end users is significant.
1: And when we look at our experience with Linux, for example, um, you know, BMW called out code stabilization and, and, you know, massive changes from release to release of OpenStack that's going on right now. Did we see the same thing with earlier versions of Linux? and, And, you know, how did that transition to a more mature product?
2: Yeah, I mean, Linux is still on a very, uh, very fast release cycle. I mean, they do many, many more releases or dot releases of the Linux kernel than we have of the OpenStack. Releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they've managed it, obviously, the organizations have become very mature. The distributors, the Linux uh, uh, op- uh, operating system distributors like Red Hat and SUSE and Canonical, those have become very mature in taking those changes, testing them, and doing all the dot releases, and providing the end users with the idea of, you know, how to upgrade their systems in flight with those new releases. I think OpenStack has got a little bit more way to go to get there, and that is what is coming out yesterday, that the whole release process and advising end users of how they can actually do an upgrade in flight. Uh, of course, things get a lot more complex when you're trying to upgrade an entire cloud environment in flight when the actual production application's running. Uh, If you're just upgrading uh, an individual server, you can think in terms of moving a workload off and then pulling the server down and upgrading it. But in upgrading an entire cloud, it gets a little more complicated than that. So I think that's why um, there's a little bit more work to be done.
1: So if you take a look at where we're at today in Paris and you forecast out into next year's OpenStack Summit, what are the kind of things that you're going to be looking for to ensure just at, at your gut level, oh, yeah, we're on the right track, you know, is it is it production deployments? Is it uh, you know multiple use cases of different types of industries? What what are the key things?
2: Uh, for sure, more production deployments. I think what we've seen until now. At least we we're waiting to hear for the results from the survey from this summit. But from the last one, we did see that the the number of deployments had increased significantly, almost doubled. But there was still a large number of people in uh, in test and dev kind of environments, mm-hmm. not real. Uh, I should say they are production in a certain sense, but not the mainline, mainstream applications. A year from now, what we'd like to see is someone standing up and saying, hey, we did move a lot of our core business critical apps onto our private cloud. Mm-hmm. And and the private cloud is, some of it is on-prem, and some of it is managed private cloud off-premises with some provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we'd like to see. I think we will see that a year from now, someone coming forward and claiming that they have moved some of their critical apps over to that environment.
1: Now. In the sessions yesterday, I noticed a lot of focus on the telco environment, and and there, it seems like a much different value proposition. Um, can you tell me what you've you've gleaned from telco providers as to why they're using OpenStack, and you know what kind of business problem they're trying to address?
2: Sure. I mean, for the um, telco providers, it's it's, a, it's the provisioning of the networks. They have to constantly deal with changing workloads and demands, and the uh, Uh, The more traditional infrastructure does create a huge operational load for them in Mm -hmm. terms of having to sit and provision everything. SDI, I mean, it it helps them look into the future and see that they can cut their operations costs tremendously. Uh, So that's why they're excited about it. But at the same time, they realize that theirs is probably five nines of uh, availability is the kind of, you know, they operate at a completely different level in terms Mm -hmm. of availability. Um, so they are also driving a demand for certain capabilities in, in the OpenStack environment. But I think they're seeing a potential uh, payback from cutting down their operational costs and even their you know, capital expense costs because they get a better, more efficient use of their uh, infrastructure this way. I think they're seeing it. Uh, you know, they're seeing it now.
1: Mm-hmm. When you look at an event like this, um, tons of developers from all over the world. What types of people beyond the core, beyond enterprise, have, have you seen get pulled into an OpenStack community? And, you know, what kinds of groups of folks are you surprised to see here?
2: Uh, yeah, I would think it would be the um, enterprise IT people, um, people whom you'd normally associate with uh, trying to deploy your you know, SAP and Exchange and things like that. Uh, but who are now getting pretty heavily involved in seeing how they can actually improve the infrastructure to support uh, newer lines of businesses or people wanting to get newer apps out fast.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm surprised they're moving so fast because uh, I think we saw it even yesterday when you know, we had uh, Ruchi Bharg of Intel IT saying how they've made this transition from being uh, an IT shop that pretty much told people, hey, here's what you can do and here's what you can't, to now trying to meet the needs of all their uh, of their uh, business uh, users uh, wanting to roll out new apps. So, yeah, that's the surprising thing. they moved fast.
1: And, you know, I think that the interesting thing is once you have this cloud environment installed and you've actually got it to an automated state, that means new challenges to the developers at the app layer. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's this term... Bandied about quite a bit that applications need to be cloud aware in other words they got to be architected in a certain way that uh, they 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 tolerant of you know different virtual machines just being pulled down and moved around and, and what they call the stateless kind of apps uh, at the same time uh, we also if you talk to the telco people they'll say oh hold on a minute not all our apps can ever become stateless uh, we have to keep sessions alive and so there so there's a challenge over there. So there, I think there are a lot of enterprise apps that can be re-architected, uh, and I think they will happen. People will start recognizing that the cloud environment is here to stay. Let's write the apps in such a way that we make it easy
4: mm-hmm. uh,
2: for the apps to take advantage of the cloud infrastructure. Otherwise, you're ending up with creating silos and saying these apps have to run in these servers only and they can't might be migrated anywhere. Uh, and nobody wants that. So that's, that's going to happen.
1: So you're, you're talking about two different trends. One is the integration of a private cloud within an enterprise environment, um, using OpenStack or another orchestration solution. Um, second is the percentage of workloads that are actually running within that private cloud environment and the types of apps that are being right. architected for them. It should be interesting to watch over time to see how both of those trends are delivered. Right. Um, I did want to ask you, Krish, about um, one thing, which is, um, Big news for Intel yesterday uh, Intel as a platinum member of the OpenStack Foundation and is the guy that's in charge of marketing OpenStack that okay. must be good news for you it is so what does that mean platinum member and and um, what is the selection process for that there's not that many of them
2: right uh, the eight platinum members I think uh, and yeah it means we have a permanent seat on the board it means that we we can more definitely plan on how we you know influence the whole movement and what kind of capabilities need to be addressed? The priorities assigned to various projects, and so on. Um, and and of course, it's it's not so much a tops down community as you've probably noticed. It's it's a lot of it is driven by you know engineers getting together and deciding what seems to be th- the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, it, so you know, you, being on the board doesn't mean that you automatically get to define what projects get taken up. It's not the way it works. But you do look to influence uh, the processes by which projects get uh, prioritized. So I think we have an opportunity there uh, again. Uh, but it's to be done in a way, obviously, to in, in keeping in mind that, you know, the wishes of the open source community, this this is a very different process here. Um, uh, there are only eight members. Uh, so for us, it gives us that opportunity. And, and you asked the question, uh, what does it take to become a platinum member? You, it's you should have demonstrated that you are really heavily committed to open source and to this community. So we, the, the fact that we got there is a recognition of the f- contributions we've made over the last three to four years and how heavily we've participated with the community, how well our engineers have integrated with the rest of the community and worked with the different teams and the, and you know whether it's in the code reviews or submissions and blueprints and so on. So we've demonstrated that we are a serious organization and we have solid processes to to work through this open source uh, mechanism.
1: So, final question for you. Um, you know, we're in Paris. There's lots of things going on downstairs in the the community. What is the best um booth t-shirt that you've seen? <laughs> and is it intel's?
2: It certainly ours caught a lot of attention. I was wearing it myself and walking around, and I had people stop by and say, "Go, where can I get one of these t-shirts?" So, I'm biased. I'm heavily mm-hmm. biased. I was wearing one of ours and. Getting stopped by people, so Mm -hmm. I don't think I spent enough time trying to notice what other T-shirts were around there. (laughs) I was uh, I was quite heavily focused on trying to see what people are showing in those booths, but um, I'm sure in the next couple of days I'll find some T-shirt over there that uh, catches my (laughs) attention more than ours.
1: (laughs) I did like rack spaces. I think it was a it was code for I love Paris. Uh, okay. but, but, you know, written in co- written in code. So that was nice. Um, th- that was a good one. There are some others. It seems like there is a informal competition here between the exhibitors of who can have the, the best T-shirt. Coolest T-shirt. So, <laughs> so um, we're going to have to raise the bar next year, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on the program today. I know that you're a busy guy uh, at the OpenStack Summit. Uh, we hope to have you back again soon.
2: Thank you, Alison. Thanks for the opportunity here to be here. I really enjoyed it.
1: Welcome back to Chip Chat. We're recording live from the OpenStack Summit in Paris, and I'm Allison Klein. I'm delighted to have Carmine Remy, Director of Cloud Engineering for Workday, with me today. Welcome, Carmine.
4: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: So, Carmine, you've never been on the program before. Why don't we just start with just des- describing what Workday is for those three people online that don't know?
4: Sure. Uh, Workday is a software as a service company. Uh, with a lot of, well, various applications for the enterprise government education in the HR um, human capital management space, uh, Mm -hmm. in the financial space, time tracking. We're even doing some innovative stuff uh, for universities in uh, making applications available to universities uh, for their entire curriculum and students and things along those lines. So you'll see more and more products, I think, come out over time.
1: Now, you and Workday have been early implementers of OpenStack. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you at the OpenStack Summit. What was the reason and rationale uh, within a Workday environment for looking at early adoption of OpenStack? And what are you trying to accomplish there?
4: Sure. So uh, we looked at OpenStack, and in general, we're looking at the infrastructure as a service space and trying to get ahead of the curve a little bit in terms of what we need to do in our data centers To keep up with the growth within Workday, so if you follow our quarterly announcements and our quarterly statements, and you look at our growth rates, uh, it's a phenomenal. You know, we're growing at a a pretty good clip. And so for our data centers, you know, it's one thing to do something in certain practices and processes when you're going from you know zero to 100 servers to 1,000 servers to then 10,000 servers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of those practices uh, don't scale when you go to 20 or 30 or 40 or 50,000 servers. And so strategically, we're looking at, okay, what can we do to help our organization scale even better than it has in the past? And it's at that stage that we started looking at, you know, infrastructure as a service technologies like OpenSAC.
1: And obviously, an open source um, solution, what has the experience been in terms of your early trials with it and how the, the baseline code has been evolved since that point? It, you know, now we're at Juno
4: right uh so we um uh, for our production workloads that are running on OpenStack, uh, we sort of have a strategy of staying maybe about six months uh, behind so we haven't uh we're, we have some things in the process of going to Icehouse. house uh, we still have a lot of things on havana um, and then with Icehouse, you know they've got uh in place sort of upgrading and, and, and that kind of uh, functionality which we'll take more and more advantage of but um Uh, But in terms of uh, our experience uh, with the the code and how it's evolved, you've been really impressed with the advances that are made every six months. Um, We haven't uh, taken advantage of all the advancements every six months. A big part of that is we do dive in and understand the technology at a very deep level. We have our own continuous integration and deployment pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, And adding Tempest tests, the the unit test framework and... um, scenario test framework that comes along with uh, OpenStack. So that takes a little bit of time to kind of wrap that up into your continuous integration environment, make sure that everything's working as you'd expect. And then also that as an as a internal organization, we're able to support the rest of the Workday uh, ecosystem, if you will.
1: So it, it's an interesting that you brought brought, brought this up. We had um, Rushi Bargava from Intel on yesterday. She was talking about a pipeline similar to what you just described. We heard from um, Stephen Lentz from BMW about code stabilization and you know major changes in code over time from release to release with OpenStack. Um, within that six-month window, what is the what is the opportunity um, to address some of these major code advancements? And is that something that is unique to an open source initiative, or do you expect that with any app? these days.
4: The pace of innovation within those that open space uh, open source space and whether or not you can take advantage of it. Um, I think it's it's pretty common actually even in the enterprise software space uh, Workday um, as a you know, software as a service provider uh, all of our customers are on the same version of the software. We have found that some of our enterprise customers um, do not uh, are not able to take as much of the change as we offer to them. And mm-hmm. so we used to do maybe you know releases you know three or four times a year. Now we're looking at maybe tw- twice a year, just so that it's uh, easier on organizations adopting this change. And so whether it's uh, organizations like ours or open source, I do think you find so much innovation across the space. And OpenStack, in particular, uh, with so many different projects and so many core projects, uh, certified or official additional programs, uh, there's a lot there to, to chew off every single six months. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: What about, you know, you, you talked about scalability and being able to scale up numbers of nodes in, you know, in fast order. What about the availability aspects of that? And how do you develop reliability into that platform, especially with something that's changing so rapidly?
4: Right. So I think that uh, integration pipeline and having your own, um, continuous integration pipeline is a big part of that. So as you get these new, uh, releases, whatever release you're going to adopt, you're able to put it through your, uh, integration pipeline, just like you would do any software that you've built, just so that you know that everything's working appropriately and, and in the way that you would expect. For us at, uh, Workday, uh, CentOS is our operating system of choice. And so that adds additional complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe 90, 95%, I'm just guessing, uh, of things and tests, uh, Uh, are run on Ubuntu. Uh, Having said that, I do believe, um, I mean, you know, with Red Hat and their audio release, they do additional testing. uh, But it's not just OpenStack. It's, okay, you're using Ceph and you're using OpenContrail and you're using other technologies that aren't necessarily part of OpenStack per se. And so all these things have to play together and play together well. And when some of these changes happen and you have other plugins that you're using, you got to make sure that those all right. get assembled uh, appropriately, so that's really, really important. The other side of that um, is, uh, and just in terms of reliability and availability, is we really push through um, availability zones, uh, similar to what you might see at uh, Amazon Web Services. You know, the whole notion of regions and availability zones, mm-hmm. and allowing the application and the application and platform teams building on top of OpenStack the ability to increase their availability by deploying the technology across multiple availability zones so that, you know, even with deployments, deploying to one availability zone at a time, if that causes an outage, then ideally your services and applications on top of that won't because you have other availability zones and regions working. So that's been a pretty critical part of our data center, Our divine data center strategy
1: we're at the second day of the summit and obviously you've had a little bit of time to engage with the other attendees here mm-hmm. um, what do you see when you talk to colleagues from other enterprises from other you know from other folks who are actually using OpenStack within their environments about the relative um, progress of OpenStack in terms of broad scale use and what are the things that you're seeing? in terms of the types of questions that you're like, oh, ha, I I remember when my organization was dealing with that issue uh, in terms of the the general zeitgeist of what's going on within the community now.
4: I think it's interesting. Uh, A lot of this, you know, if I just think about even just change management and how, when you look at change management, how you introduce change, it goes through sort of a common cycle, if you will, with people. And with OpenStack and organizations adopting OpenStack, it seems to follow a similar, whether it's the change management cycle itself, and you've extended that a little bit to some OpenStack nuances and, and specifics, you do find organizations follow a sort of a similar step where they, they come to this technology from wherever they started, whether they were using AWS, whether they have their own data centers, and, um, and, and wanting something that is maybe some standard set of technologies that they can use, but not knowing a lot about it, so mm-hmm. how they go about getting their arms around the technology, whether or not they have the personnel to get their arms around the technology, to then experimenting with the technology and seeing how it breaks and how it works. Um, and then uh, coming up with their you know, 1.0 initial MVP and getting some workloads on there. And then taking it to the next level where, you know in the fullness of time, if we start seeing some things around you know, auto-discovery, auto-healing, uh, knowing the technology well enough to where you can automate some of the issues that you might encounter. And start contributing back to the community. It seems like most organizations would follow that 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 path. And along that journey, a lot of decisions you have to make. You know, do you go the Ubuntu route or CentOS route or whatever mm-hmm. operating system that you have? You know, are you using Chef or Puppet or you know soon with Triple O? How will that change things? Um, you know, and I can keep going on and on and on for networking and storage mm-hmm. and what decisions you have to make. So yes, I see that a lot of organizations go down that same path.
1: If you were going to send a call to the industry about the two to three things you want the industry to deliver through OpenStack next year, or you know, adjacents, adjacent, adjacent uh, applications or frameworks, what, what what would they be in terms of your imperatives?
4: I think the the closer OpenStack can get to being a a sort of plug and play mechanism, it it to some degree is. It, it's at varying stages, depending on whether it's storage or networking, how other technologies plug into this. And um, by plug-and-play, I really think of you know even things like uh, if you think about the Windows operating system uh, or the Mac operating system and how you might have different uh, plug-in architectures for peripherals and things along those lines mm-hmm. and the testing that goes along with that. It'd be great to see with OpenStack that you get uh, closer to something that can be certified. Yes, this is certified to work for... Um, Neutron, or hey, this works with Cinder, or these various APIs, and I think that'll help customers like us and our users like us and operators like us know f- where the technologies we are and we plan on using, how that plugs in, and how that uh, works without us having to dive in and say, oh, we found this broke and this broke and this broke.
1: Right. So pre-validated integration of full solution stacks,
4: predict and, and pre baked and then also if uh, things like triple O can evolve to the point where I'm sure there'll be the, lots of different flavors of what you can plug into OpenStack. But somehow, if there's some way to make more and more things standard so that triple uh, O, I think people, some people have described it as a possible unicorn. Um, but if it can <laughs> fulfill on its mission and be as flexible as we want it to be, which I think it can get there, and it might already be there. I just haven't uh, paid attention close enough. But in the next quarter or six months, we will. Um, That would be a great place to see, yeah, with Triple O and with uh, this continuous integration pipelines, we're able to test so many different combinations of uh, software out there.
1: Interesting. I'm going to change directions completely on you. Okay. Uh, Workday is, you know, obviously a SaaS solution. Mm -hmm. Built a company around a SaaS solution. Where do you see the evolution of SaaS in the future in terms of changing the way that business is run? And do you see whole industries being disrupted based on um, solutions in the marketplace?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, these are my views, uh, not necessarily the views of, of Workday per se, but uh, SaaS and, and where it's going um, on its own in terms of uh, operating the software and, and facilitating, uh, making it easier for enterprises, uh, of enterprises and institutions, large or small, adopt software easily is, is not going to change but also i do see it um, maybe evolving and uh, evolving in ways and, and this is where i think openstack can help by st- providing a standard set of apis to facilitate distributed computing you know we're looking to adopt it and, and run our entire data centers i can imagine a, a situation where as more and more people adopt openstack It will create interesting opportunities for how Workday services its customers. Mm -hmm. Will we go on-premise? Don't know. Uh, If we did, uh, and you can imagine a scenario where some organization already has OpenStack and uh, opens it up for us, Uh, you can imagine a world where, hey, maybe we actually deploy on-prem, but fully managed by us. It's just sort of an extension. It looks like another availability zone. It just so happens to be an availability zone for a particular customer. And we deploy the solution uh, across two availability zones, one within the customer's site, one within ours, or quite possibly two availability zones within a customer's site. Um, That would be intriguing. Uh, We're not there Mm -hmm. yet. Um, But those are some of the things that might happen in the future. And, And as our orchestration technology continues to evolve and continues to get more and more robust, um, I'd love to, be, to see that opportunity present itself, and uh, I think our addressable market would get that much bigger.
1: seems like it offers a tremendous amount of flexibility in the way you deliver the service and in- increased uh, ROI for the customer, if that's something that they care about.
4: Uh, absolutely. Um, and even in addition to the ROI, ROI for their own data centers, and, mm-hmm. and hey, we got more software running on top of this, But also, you know, whether it's their own security constraints, their own operating procedures, uh, whether they're a government organization or some other organization that has really uh, has the need for really tight controls. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting opportunities.
1: Well, Carmine, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day to spend some time with us on Chip Chat. It's been a pleasure. We hope to have you back again
4: soon. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
1: Welcome back to Chip Chat Live from the OpenStack Summit in Paris. I'm Alison Klein, and I'm with Kamesh Pamaraju, a Senior Product Manager for Cloud Solutions at Dell. Welcome, Kamesh.
3: Hey, hi, Alison. How are you doing?
1: Good. So, Kamesh, you have an interesting job at Dell. Why don't you talk to me about what your job scope is and how it relates to OpenStack?
3: Absolutely. So uh, I'm the Senior Product Manager uh, for OpenStack Solutions at Dell. So we've been doing this for the last almost four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so as the product owner uh, for OpenStack, my job is to work with customers, understand what their requirements are for building an open source-based private cloud or a public cloud and kind of bring those solutions into our customers. So that includes everything from Dell servers, networking, storage, software from our partners and the entire you know, professional services and support ecosystem. So that's kind of what we are trying to do is to bring open source to the enterprise mm-hmm. in such a way that customers um, get the the technology and the innovation that OpenStack brings to the table, similar to what they're used to with commercial software.
1: So obviously, we've gone under a pretty quick transformation in the last four years in terms of the types of capabilities uh, that we're able to offer for an open source enterprise cloud. What has been the adoption like within your customer base um, from the early days um, to today? And, And what kind of trends are you seeing?
3: Yeah, interesting. Um, so we started very, very early. Uh, Dell was on the table when Rackspace and NASA got together to create the OpenStack you know the, the project. So we were involved right from day one. Initially, it was all about service providers, folks that were kind of think of them as being threatened by Amazon, mm-hmm. right? So they they were trying to find a way to build something similar um, within their data centers and provide it to their customers. and they saw OpenStack as a solution for that. So service providers, SaaS developers, even startups that wanted to go build something. Uh, so the, they, they, those were the kinds of people that were initially looking at OpenStack. And over the last year, as OpenStack matured, now those customers, the early customers, were pretty open source savvy. So they understood Linux, they understood the open source mm-hmm. communities, they knew how to contribute back to the community, they were able to use and kind of work with the kinks, if you will, of OpenStack. But more recently, as, as of Grizzly and Icehouse and Havana, we're starting to see OpenStack itself mature. Mm-hmm. So now we are starting to see more main what we call, quote-unquote, mainstream enterprise customers, You know, people that are used to using VMware, Microsoft, as their you know, preferred vendors for their virtualization initiatives are starting to look at OpenStack seriously. So we're starting to see a lot of kicking off tires in that market. Mm-hmm. And over the last year, we have uh, partnered with Red Hat, for example, to kind of cater to that customer uh, market segment. So I think we're starting to see a lot more interest in that community. There's already adoption in the in the service provider market, the mm-hmm. at and the Verizons, the telcos of the world, many hosting providers, and even universities. We have seen them as being early adopters, and even production users over time. So it's kind of where we are with, with OpenStack.
1: What is different about the enterprise environment and the underlying capabilities that they need in terms of a cloud OS, for lack of a better word? Um, that meant that OpenStack had to evolve mm-hmm. to address that market?
3: Yeah, I mean, clearly, um, we, we talk about the term enterprise grade quite mm-hmm. a bit. And what that means, and in talking to various customers, a certain themes emerge, right? There's one about security and trust, mm-hmm. right, which is a critical kind of enterprise need. The other one is performance and SLA requirements. Not that it is not a requirement for, you know, service providers, but they have their own ways of dealing with it. Like I said, they're Pretty savvy. Mm -hmm. They're do-it-yourselfers. They kind of build these things on along the way, and they probably already have tools to do that. But not the traditional enterprise, because the traditional enterprise gets these things from their vendors, and everything is there, right? It's already secure. It's already built with all the performance characteristics, and that's what they expect to see in OpenStack too. Even though it's open source, they like the innovation of OpenStack and open source that brings to the table. But at the same time, they want the uh, the performance, the SLA, the trust, the security. Um, and effectively, you know, pick up the phone and call somebody, right? They need that support line uh, in order to, you know, take production workloads and put them on OpenStack. So we're starting to see a little bit of that happen now. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's quite there yet, mm-hmm. but we're starting to see, you know, vendors like you know, Dell certainly doing a lot of work on, in this area with Intel, for example, mm-hmm. on the SAA stuff, um, as well as with Red Hat, who is <clears throat> building a commercial enterprise-ready distribution of OpenStack. So that's how we bring all the pieces Mm -hmm. together to sort of address those requirements.
1: So you talked about the SAA, the Service Assurance Administrator. Um, That was a technology that we announced, I think, in May of this year. Can you talk a little bit about how you've worked with that and what value it delivers to your customers? Absolutely.
3: So like I said, the enterprise um, target market we're going after, Uh, really consider trust SLAs and performance as the three key characteristics, aside from, you know, deployability and usability and support lines and all of that stuff, which we are addressing with, you know, Red Hat support and Dell Pro support, etc. But to address the trust equation, the security and the the performance equation, because that's pretty critical for these customers, we have been working with Intel for the past several months, uh, looking at the SAA technology and seeing how we can bring that into our solution. Uh, So we believe that the Intel SAA technology addresses exactly those same concerns around trust. Mm -hmm. Um, So making sure that their workloads are running in a trusted environment, that it is secure, that it has not been tampered with uh, by somebody. And and there's some level of assurance that those workloads are secure and and they're they're running in a trusted environment. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is, how do I know I'm getting performance uh, that I actually need? So if I'm running a... Well, take an example, something like a video stream, right? And it requires a certain level of um, response times from my, from my compute. Uh, how do I guarantee that? And today in OpenStack, there's no, no way of doing that because of the noisy neighbor problem. Because if you're putting a lot of tenants on a host, and one of the tenants is sucking up all the compute and all the cache and all, you know, all the network bandwidth, then all the other guys are getting starved. So how do you make sure or how do you know uh, that that's happening? And how do you take proactive action in order to... Address that, so that's kind of where Intel SAA comes in.
1: So it's basically from an administration standpoint, thinking about how the underlying hardware attributes are matching up with what the workload requires.
3: That's absolutely true. And if you look at a traditional, any typical data center, you'll find all generations of servers there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens with with our customers too. They sometimes we have a reference architecture for our solution, which you know recommends the latest and the greatest servers, you know, 13 G servers and 20 cores, etc. But customers don't always buy you know, straight off of the reference architecture. They'll say, hey, I've got a whole bunch of, you know, r 410s from the 11th generation, you know, five years old. I want to use those. Yeah. Now, now you, we know that those servers are not as performant as the newest ones. So how do you make sure that when you have such a mix of different kinds of servers with different compute capacities that you are, in fact, getting the performance that you're looking for? And again, Intel SAA is the answer to that, because it'll it'll give you a uniform way of specifying The compute that you need, Mm -hmm. regardless of what server is actually running, you know, underlying bare metal performance requirements, it takes care of all that for you.
1: So, commissioner, you're basically saying that the enterprise still cares what kind of infrastructure is running in their data center.
3: Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of um, existing investments in the data Mm -hmm. centers, and they're not going to throw about to throw that all away. I mean, they're going to have existing servers, existing networks and they want to use those servers with the latest, you know, OpenStax technology and we want to enable them to do that.
1: So you talked a little bit about the transition from early adoption and CSPs to the enterprises. When you're working with customers today, when you're when you're working with them on their maybe first test and dev or first POC of OpenStack, what are the things that you see that are the challenges that they have to overcome and how many of those are technology and how many of them are, you know, how their organization actually operates. Mm.
3: Yeah. The cultural aspects tend to be fairly challenging um, mainly because what cloud in general is doing is kind of democratizing the, the whole, you know, if you look at a traditional enterprise, you've got silos, right? You've got a storage group and then there's a networking group, there's a security group. And we kind of run in this all the time. We can go talk to the IT guys and they're all excited about private cloud. We go there and kind of do the first deployment or try to do the first deployment, and all of a sudden, you know, some guy in the networking group raises a red flag saying, oh, wait a minute, you know, have you guys thought about the networking aspects? How is this going to connect to the rest of the enterprise? Or the security guys come in? So they have have to bring together various siloed groups in order to build this common shared infrastructure. So that's a big challenge Mm -hmm. in any traditional enterprise. So that's on the cultural side. So they need to kind of, you know, have a... Uh, a common vision of what the shared infrastructure is, how it's going to be uh, delivered and operated on, which is not how things happen today. It's mm-hmm. it's a different kind of culture and different ways in which they are being managed. So that's one aspect. From a technology standpoint, like I said earlier, OpenStack is still maturing. There are some mm-hmm. areas that that need work, and we have heard a lot in this conference about the upgrade problem, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there is a, a real upgrade problem in OpenStack. So many customers that have... One of the earlier versions of OpenStack installed like Havana or something are afraid to move to the latest version because there's no easy upgrade path available today right it 's not like you know I want to you know press this big red button and everything gets upgraded no that 's not kind of where we are. That problem needs to be solved mm-hmm. that's number one right and then there's still the networking issue around Neutron, which is the networking project with an openStack that is Kind of in the middle of a transition, we used to have Nova Networking, which was the previous inc- incarnation of Neutron. And we still recommend uh, Nova Networking over Neutron because it wasn't ready as, mm-hmm. of, as of the last version. It's starting to get there now. So networking, upgrade, um, ease of use and ease of deployment is a third major pain point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, There are different companies that have different ways of deploying OpenStack, and it's by no means standardized, and it's still not very easy to do depending on your, you know, complexity of infrastructure, it can take anywhere from weeks to months Mm -hmm. to get a fairly complex thing up and running. Now, that being said, this is the problem that we are solving at Dell. And with with the help of Red Hat, we are coming up with a standardized pre-configured configuration that can be deployed with an automated tool with high availability and including the Intel SAA stuff, which we're going to start integrating going forward, everything gets seamlessly deployed and installed. Mm-hmm. And you know, with the help of our professional services team, we should get the whole thing up and running so the customer can use it within a week. That's good. So that's our goal, mm-hmm. right? So we're getting there. Uh, I wouldn't say there are, all the problems have been solved because things are changing. <laughs> Every time we get a new version, there are new components to be taken care of, new storage capacities. So it, it's, a, it's an ongoing, it's a moving target. Mm-hmm. But we're getting there slowly.
1: It seems like um, you know we're just in those growing pains of uh, a community and a, and a solution maturing into something that is more like Linux at mm. the end of the day, mm-hmm. where you know it's you know more predictive code drops, understand what needs to happen when each. Uh, which, when each version is delivered, yeah. all of the testing and uh, cross-testing that needs yeah, to be. on. And
3: documentation. So that's exactly. the, you know, we've heard a number of times, not just in this conference, I've, this is my seventh or eighth conference I've mm-hmm. been at, at OpenStack, and it keeps coming up. I mean, I think it has really matured from a documentation and testing point of view in the last three or four releases. So it's getting there because there's a lot of operator and user feedback that's being used now. It wasn't the case initially. It was all developer-led, and it was all features, features, features. Let's keep adding more components, which I think is required because customers are asking for it. Right. And it needs to you know, be on parity with other technologies out there. So I think we've reached a critical inflection point now with the technology where we need to have enough of user... And documentation, and you know the stability and and the upgrade stuff, without which I, I think it's it's very important at this point for OpenStack to really get into the mainstream enterprise. I think as a community, we, we all are, we are all aware of it. The foundation is aware of it, and we are, we are taking steps to fix those problems. So it's maybe a couple mm-hmm. more releases before we are there.
1: So Kamish, yeah. what do you think we're going to be talking about next fall at OpenStack Summit?
3: I hope that we will be talking about very large-scale enterprise deployments. So mm-hmm. we we have seen some customers come, you know, for the keynotes talk about some of the early. I mean, CERN was a was an excellent example. Mm-hmm. They're running a. They plan to run one hundred and fifty thousand cores on yeah, OpenStack, which, which is which is amazing, right? I mean, that's probably the largest that I'm aware of. I want to see more and more such customers come on and, and talk about their real use cases, how they're deploying OpenStack at, at scale. How are production ready? And so we need to get these, the perception that OpenStack is not ready for mm-hmm. primetime go away.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. That would be
3: sense. my hope. And, and hopefully that promise will be fulfilled.
1: Well, Kamesh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Um, thank you for taking the time out. We hope to have you back on the program soon.
3: Thank you. It's my pleasure.
1: live on Chip Chat from the OpenStack Summit in Paris, France. I'm Allison Klein, and I'm joined by David Brown from Intel. Welcome, David.
0: Hi. How are you, Allison?
1: I'm good. Thank you. Good. So, David, why don't we just start by you describing what you do at Intel and, and why you're here at the OpenStack Summit.
0: Okay. Well, I've had several jobs at Intel, but most recently for the past year, I work as the director of data center software planning. So, we do a lot of work with the uh, from the operating system on up to middleware. And most, most of our focus these days is on open source for obvious reasons. And within open source, most of our focus is on OpenStack. So,
1: so OpenStack has been a topic that kind of hit like a flash fire in the data center a few years ago. Um, you know, we have one every, you know, few years in data center conversations. You can go from virtualization to cloud. OpenStack seems to be the topic du jour. Why don't you describe why this is so important uh, for the data center vision uh, for the future, and why Intel has invested so heavily here.
2: Well,
0: we f- we feel that private cloud and hybrid cloud adoption by the enterprise is one of the key phenomena that's going to take place in the data center moving forward. And there's multiple ways of standing up a private cloud. There's proprietary offerings, and what OpenStack does is it provides a an open source option to standing up. Private hybrid clouds in mm-hmm. the enterprise and telcos and end users, and we see that as a as a huge opportunity for Intel and the whole marketplace for that matter. It's just not a silicon opportunity. It's it's really an opportunity that involves many elements of the ecosystem, software providers, service providers, and it's an exciting time to be working working on data center strategy.
1: It seems like um, you can track the progress with OpenStack. Um, from summit to summit uh, with the community coming together to talk about the advancements that's been made in the last six months. What are the most notable things that have happened in Paris that you'd want other folks to know about?
0: I think there's a couple of things. One is the follow-on to something we introduced back in Atlanta called Win the Enterprise and the fact that we've made a lot of progress on that and that it's really um, held a position as a work group that has a lot of success and a lot of demand and and attention from the board of directors right through the technical community mm-hmm. and, the, and the TC committees and so forth. So it's really, it's, it's an evolution, if you will, but an important evolution. I think Paris is just shining more of a spotlight on it. In conjunction with that, or maybe a tangent to that, is also the fact that much of what we've done in Win the Enterprise can play for telco. Mm-hmm. And as you probably can appreciate, the telco environments need to even be more stable than enterprise. So we're looking to get more of the operators engaged from the telco organizations to get their requirements, similar to what we did with Win the Enterprise, get their requirements and make OpenStack more broadly adopted by telco and make it more hardened for telco as well. So those are a couple of key areas. I think the uh, the other thing that there's, a, there's kind of a rumble in the crowd about the concept of making OpenStack more stable from a Bug fix perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's always a pull on resources from doing new, re, new feature additions, uh, creative, more f- maybe more fun features to build into the product versus fixing what's broken. Mm-hmm. And for, I think for OpenStack to really evolve to the next level, we've got to fix some of the the bugs and spend some more time there, in combination with the feature additions that are being programmed into this.
1: So concept. really a juxtaposition between velocity of innovation and stability. Exactly. And exactly. what have we learned from other open source initiatives that would maybe help with creating the right balance?
0: Well, I think I'm not, I'm not an expert in, in the Linux evolution, but from what I understand, talking to those who are, is that Linux went through a similar phenomenon. That when, when it came to a point where enterprises were getting more interested in, in using Linux, they put the demand down and said, "We'll use it, but here's what needs to happen."
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: that inflection point is what drove Linux to be more data center capable than it was 10, 15 years ago. I think OpenStack's going through that same inflection point right now as as it as organizations in the in the marketplace look to adopt it more broadly.
1: When you look at um, the enterprise and telco customer arenas, which um, which group do you think is farther along with OpenStack, if there is one, and which one has the most challenges ahead?
0: That's a good question. Um, I think from a hardening perspective, from an evolutionary perspective, you would think that the enterprise and then telco would go in that order, enterprise being further ahead than mm-hmm. telco up coming up behind. I think as far as actual deployments of the, of the stack right now, telco actually has enterprise beat, beat out a little bit. And it could be because their, their rate of innovation is different that they see more value and they're willing to sacrifice some of the stability issues that I mentioned earlier. I think Telco's got the, 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 the deployment numbers beat against enterprise. Mm-hmm. But um, they're, both organizations, both segments of the market are critical for OpenStack. And we think that uh, some of the features that they demand are overlap. So hopefully we can get our arms around both and, and move them both forward.
1: The theme at OpenStack is all about collaboration between industry partners. Um, can you describe some of the, the partnerships that we have in this space, and you know, wh- how do we um, ensure that we're driving the right level of, of collaboration across all of the industry?
0: There's a couple of things I would point out. Um, one is I'll reference back to the Win the Enterprise effort that we kicked off earlier this mm-hmm. year. There's about 75 different organizations participating in that effort, there's two prongs to the effort. There's an engineering prong and a marketing business prong, and there's 75 organizations working across both, collaborating to address the needs of the enterprise. I think that's pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes when you kick those activities off at a summit, people are excited at the summit, then they get back to their real jobs, and your attendance falls, falls off 80%. That, in fact, has not been the case with uh, Win the Enterprise. We've maintained almost completely the number of people who joined at the summit in, in Atlanta and are still working on the work group today. So that's that's pretty prominent and good. The other the other partner areas are um, bringing together folks to make sure that we can get the right people doing code reviews. Mm-hmm. One of the gates or one of the things that's, that's slowing down some of the implementation and feature additions to the st- software stack is code reviewers and the lack of code reviewers or the lack of time they have to do code reviews. Sure. So what we're trying to do is figure out how we can work together to Get more commitment for people to do code reviewing. Get some training out there to teach people how to be code reviewers and, and recognize faulty code and so forth. And and I think that's going to be one of the elements of, again, making OpenStack a better product in the long run.
1: When you think about um, where we are today, um, you know we've we've been to multiple summits at this point. We're talking to a lot of customers here about where they're at with their either their test and eval or actual um, deployments. What do you think are the key topics today at this conference and juxtapose those over what you think we're going to be talking about next year at the
0: summit? Well, I'm hoping that we we begin to move the the, the end users from a perspective of proof of concept to production deployments. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, maybe we'll throw a pilot in the middle there to give them at right. least a stepping stone. But one of the things we need to do to build confidence from a marketplace perspective and message perspective is really be able to brag about Lighthouse accounts or major companies standing up private hybrid clouds in their environment for production purposes. And I think what I'd like to see at the next summit is that we've got more and more customers willing to stand up mm-hmm. and talk about their OpenStack uh, engagements and their OpenStack uh, deployments with confidence, them production deployments, no more proof of concepts, or at least make sure that we've got more people migrating to to production so that the software stack becomes known as being stable and ready for prime time.
1: And what kind of uh, features do you think need to be integrated? Are there any, you know, that you would say, oh, yeah, this is super important for the industry to deliver over the next year?
0: One of the ones you'll hear probably mentioned the most is rolling upgrades. Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to keep your environment up to, up to speed with features and capabilities that OpenStack has to offer by providing an upgrade mechanism that's that's facilitated. And that, that's missing today. You heard it in the panel discussion yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a, a meeting called Meet the Hidden Influencers yesterday. These mm-hmm. are the people out in the community who, who are managing large developers working on OpenStack. They may not be on the board, they may not be on the TC. But in fact, they're ones who have a lot of say in an indirect manner for what goes into OpenStack, and they talked about the same thing—that uh, you know we have an opportunity to, to to drive the product forward in a in a positive way, and we need we need to get more code reviewers engaged and.
1: And it seems like I was I was talking to a couple of um, enterprise managers of of OpenStack installations earlier in the conference, and there was this common theme of uh, in. A, integration pipelines, and um, the fact that it's not just the fact that the OpenStack um, distribution needs to be tested, it also needs to be tested and validated against all the eight adjacent Absolutely.
0: platforms. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when you, you if you think about standing up a private cloud in an enterprise, you're not standing it up and taking over the whole IT infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're spitting it up inside of an infrastructure that's existed for probably many, many years, and you've got to find ways to make that infrastructure interoperate with the structure that's in, in hand already. And rolling upgrades to some degree has to address that as well. It's an upgrade of the stack itself and, up, and the upgrade of the connections and, and mm-hmm. interfaces to the, to the non-open stack systems and IT deployments that are running in a given enterprise.
1: The complexity of that, when you start thinking about it, almost makes your head hurt.
0: It is complex. I mean, OpenStack is a a complex tool in and of itself, Mm -hmm. and when you think about hooking it up to a broad base of IT applications that are not OpenStack, it it does kind of send your head spinning a little bit, but um, I think that's where we can build capabilities into the code stack with that in mind to keep the head spinning down to a, a slow rotation, I suppose, so...
1: Well, David, is there any other um, key takeaway that you'd like to share with the audience uh, that didn't make it to the event? Of you know, what are the key things that you saw here that were were interesting?
0: I think the main thing is this concept of evolution. I see the, the tool evolving in a in a in a in a direction that's very positive to me. It's it's getting hardened. It's getting represented by key IT organizations and telcos who are using it and beginning to stand up private clouds and hybrid clouds. And that's what's exciting to me is that it's evolving to a real tool and will very soon be a true choice for organizations out there looking at how do I stand up a private cloud? What are the tools that are available for me to do so? OpenStack is definitely front and center.
1: Well, David, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today today. OpenStack is one of those topics in the data center arena that's moving so fast, it's a lot of fun to talk about.
0: I agree. Thanks, Allison. Visit ChipChat online at intel.com chipchat. And for more information on data center technologies, visit intel.com slash bigdata, intel.com cloud,
4: and intel.com slash datacenteroptimization.